Hello everybody, my name is Andy Fernandez. And my name is Michael Fernandez. And welcome back to another episode of What Makes It Great. Today we are talking about High Noon from 1952, ranked number 33 on the original list and number 27 on the 10th anniversary update, directed by Fred Zinneman. Wow, that's pretty high up there. It is. It is one of... I didn't expect it to be this high, but I'm glad it is. I liked this movie quite a bit. Yeah, I did too. Um, We watched Shanghai Noon, right? (laughs) No, but they're brothers. (laughs) They're basically the same. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is your first time watching this movie? Yep. First time I've seen this movie, I watched it on Amazon. It's on Amazon, right? Amazon Prime. That's right, for free. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was my second time. I had seen it once before in high school, uh, but the only thing I really remembered about it was the theme song. Oh, yeah. It was a good theme song. And they play it the whole time. Yeah, the whole movie. And it changes a little bit. I guess it's a different verse for whatever's going on in the movie. Yeah, because they play it once all the way through at the beginning of the movie to tell you... The song is a ballad, and it tells you the whole story of the movie. And then during the movie, they play like the portion that, of the song that's happening <laughs> as you watch. So. What's the bad guy's name in it or whatever? Frank Miller. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to shoot Frank Miller, my darling. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, obviously towards the end. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, but uh, yeah, so I watched it. So it was my second time. And I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. And so I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. Um, there's a couple of things I want to talk about before we talk about the movie and the most important thing is the red scare mccarthyism and blacklisting that was happening in hollywood all right give me some history brother <laughs> so this movie comes out in 1952 so they're doing the house of un-american activities committee meetings where they are trying to get rid of all of the communist party's influence in hollywood and american media And so, very controversially, a lot of people are naming names of people that they know that have attended Communist Party meetings and trying to suss them out and basically get them out, thrown out of the industry and blacklist them and prevent them from ever working again. Hmm. So, this is happening quite a bit right in this time frame, and it's very much influences what happens in this movie. The writer of the movie... Uh, his name is Carl Foreman. He had been apparently a member of the Communist Party, um, or at least attended some meetings or something. That's what it was said or rumored about him. And Gary Cooper, the main actor, is a very conservative guy who's had a history of turning down a lot of movies for being un-American. Hmm. Um, so this movie was kind of right in the middle of this controversy and it has a lot to do and say about blacklisting because essentially the main character of this movie gets blacklisted and just turned aside and isolated and and so it's it's a commentary on what's going on in the industry at the time um so I didn't know that that's cool this movie was very controversial when it came out and and I guess nobody wanted to work with him in the movie, but we will get into that later. Yeah, so that's kind of, we'll talk about that theme kind of throughout the movie as we discuss it, but that is the big kind of concept that created a lot of controversy for this movie. The main actors, I want to talk about two of them, because I think this is the only time we get to see Gary Cooper, and we also get to see Grace Kelly for the first time. Oh yeah, that was awesome. She is very, 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 very pretty. 
Yeah, so we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about Grace Kelly first. I Isn't guess. she like twenty one in this movie or something? Yeah, uh, this is her first major film role, and I think she's like yeah twenty two, twenty three, something like that. Oh wow! And um, Gary Cooper's an old guy. <laughs> yeah, he's old, old, old. Uh, so it's kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this is her first major film role. Uh, the rest of her career, she does some things like she gets a supporting actress nomination the following year in a John Ford movie. Um, called Mugambo or something that I've never heard of. Huh. Uh, the year after, she stars in two Alfred Hitchcock movies, Dial M for Murder and Rear Window, which we'll get to watch. Yay! And then she also wins an Oscar for Best Actress for the movie The Country Girl. Um, she makes another Hitchcock film, and she does a remake of the Philadelphia story called High Society with Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra. And then in 1956, just four years after High Noon comes out, her first major film role, she marries the Prince of Monaco and becomes the Princess of Monaco. What? And she retires from acting after only five years of acting at the age of 26. Dang, what a career. Yeah, she gets an Oscar. She stars in some hit on two movies on the top 100 list. She becomes a princess and she retires at the age of 26. That's a good age to retire. Yeah. Um, but then she unfortunately what are died. We still doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> she got it figured out, but she does um, unfortunately die pretty young in a car accident at the age of 52 hmm. in 1982. Hmm. Um, just, you know, half her life later. It's just like right. 26 years after she. That's, that's a good retirement age. She yeah. picked it perfect. She got 26 years of being a print, being a retired princess and living the life of luxury. Only worked five years. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And had an Oscar on her shelf and everything. So, well, there's a song that I listen to called I Want to Be Like Grace Kelly. And after learning that, I want to be like Grace Kelly. Why didn't I retire? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to die young, but still, dang. <laughs> um, Gary Cooper, um, he was, I have this quote here because we've been watching, um, my wife and I have been watching The Sopranos and uh, the whole character of Tony Soprano is like a vulnerable leading man so he's in therapy and stuff and he's like all getting in touch with his emotions and he laments that he's not like gary cooper oftentimes in the in the show that he's not like the strong silent type oh my gosh. and so he's always like why can't men be more like gary cooper whatever happened to them the strong silent type and that's who he is in this movie the strong silent type he was kind of known for his naturalness his natural acting style he just could kind of play a character without be, and convincingly do so without emoting too much or without doing too much extra. Mm. Um, played a lot of cowboys from the silent movies all the way through the 1950s. He also played Lou Gehrig in The Pride of the Yankees. If you ever see that today, I consider myself so lucky, man. <laughs> yeah, that movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's him. Uh, he was nominated for five Academy Awards. Uh, for One for Mr. Deeds Goes to Town for the pride of the yankees and a movie called for whom the bell tolls and he wins two for sergeant york and high noon cool like i said he was a lifelong conservative but then he meets and befriends the screenwriter of high noon carl foreman and defends him he doesn't name him in the in the meeting the uh, committee meetings in front of congress he offers to appear as a character witness for him if he ever gets called up and uh, for the rest of his writing career, Carl Foreman sent his scripts to Gary Cooper first if he ever wanted to act in them. Wow. So uh, it's a he, cool friendship. That's yeah. a good friend to have. They really, really respected each other, even though they had very different political views. All right. You want to get into the movie? Let's do it. Let's get into the movie. 
This movie starts off, I think, differently than any movie we've seen. It just goes straight into the movie. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, Paramount Pictures Presents, uh, you know, the opening credits like a flip book or anything. It goes, just fades in on some images mm-hmm. of a guy sitting under a tree or something and playing the song. They play the ballad, the high noon ballad. AKA, do not forsake me, oh my darling. Do not forsake me, oh my darling. On this our wedding day. Do not forsake me, oh my darling. Wait, wait long. As the opening credits are rolling over these images, we see, you know, a man waiting under a tree as two others are meeting up to join him and they begin riding into town. And we learn later that these are three men of a uh, gang, basically, and they're, the, the gang leader has been pardoned and he's going to be heading back to this town. So they're waiting for him to come in on the noon train. Mm-hmm. That's basically the plot. He's coming in on the noon train and then he's coming after... The man who sent him away, Gary Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very simple plot. But also, um, I think has a lot like has been probably repeated so many times. Yeah. The train's coming in, we gotta wait for the train. What's gonna be on the train? We got someone coming off the train, we gotta get somebody on the train, or mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of things. It's like it's a great uh narrative device to amp up tension everyone's waiting on and the the movie almost play plays out in real time yeah it's like the train comes in in an hour and 20 minutes and the movie is like an hour and 25 minutes and all but five the last five minutes are like after the train arrives or whatever Mm -hmm. it's it's perfect i love the structure of it yeah it is really cool uh the church bells ring out as the three men enter the town and people are looking up at them and we kind of get the sense that they're up to no good and because like we see a woman making the sign of the cross and people are going to hide inside as they're kind of going through the streets of the town Mm -hmm. and we go inside to the justice of the peace where he is presiding over a wedding will kane gary cooper is getting married to amy fowler grace kelly Mm -hmm. that's right they're getting married right away and then it like kind of cuts back and forth in between the wedding and then back to the Three guys in the street, right? Yeah, and their names are Pierce, Miller, and Colby. And I think Colby is Lee Van Cleef, who does a lot of Western stuff. And this is one of his first, if not his very first roles. Hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, it does go back and forth as they're trying to go into the train station. They're asking if the noon train's on time and then back to the wedding ceremony. And But who do they ask if the noon train's on time? Who's the man in the train station? I don't remember. Oh, I thought that was Thomas Mitchell. It's not Thomas oh, Mitchell. Oh, no, it's not. No, <laughs> he shows up later. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's at the wedding. Um, he's back at the wedding ceremony. It ends and we learn from the townspeople like Thomas Mitchell. There we go. Um, who we've seen how many times now? Stagecoach, Gone with the Wind. It's a Wonderful Life, right? It's a Wonderful Life. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. This is at least the fifth time at least. we've seen him. I think he's probably appeared in more movies than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Will Kane, Gary Cooper, is retiring as the marshal to go run a store. His new wife is a Quaker, so he's got to give up his guns and his life of fighting crime, basically. Grace Kelly doesn't really strike me as a Quaker. <laughs> she has the looks of a princess, not a Quaker. 
Well, is that just because you've learned from her? Yeah, but no, before life. that, it's like she doesn't seem like she she seems more like a city girl than like a Quaker. Yeah, a little bit. Um, she has like a little bit of like a more slightly more sophisticated Marilyn Monroe look to her. She's I like, feel like Marilyn Monroe and Elizabeth Taylor kind of mixed together a little bit, but like more high class than either of them. I guess that's fair. I guess Elizabeth Taylor wasn't like that that high class. She was all alcohol and drugs. <laughs> um, but the new marshal doesn't arrive until the next day. And they're like, ah, the town's going to be safe for one day. It'll survive one day without Will Kane. Um, just then we get, a, we get a telegram coming in or something that we learn that Frank Miller, who is a criminal and a brother of one of those three men, has been pardoned and is set to arrive on the noon train into town. And uh, Will Kane is the guy that uh, that put him in jail originally. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's leaving, right, with uh, with Amy Farrah Fowler, whatever her name is, Amy Fowler. <laughs> yeah, Amy Fowler, yeah. yeah. Um, and then he's like on the wagon or whatever, riding out of town with her and... He gets the news like right before he leaves, right? Yeah, he's like, I'm still going. And so he like hangs up his star and, and they leave town. But then when they get outside of town, he stops. He's like, I got to go back. Yep. And uh, when he gets back, he, that's when he tells Amy about his past with Frank Miller. And he puts his gun and badge back on. And he's like, I sent him up for murder. He was set to hang. Then his sentence got commuted to life. And now he's been released. And he's coming back to even the score. And I feel a duty responsibility for my actions and for the town and and then her religion's causing conflict with that and that's when we get it's like it's an hour till noon and amy's like i'm gonna be at the train station waiting for you and i'm gonna leave without you if you're not there mm-hmm. and so we have an hour of the movie that we're waiting for this train and trying to figure out is will what's he gonna do is he his wife's at the train station she's gonna leave him and the, when the train comes in, Frank Miller is going to come in and try to kill him. Does he stay in town and fight Frank Miller and disappoint his wife? Does he go with his wife and run away from Frank Miller and live? But kind of like, as the song says, should he be a coward and lie a c- c- coward in his grave <laughs> or whatever? Um, and so he's got this like... um conflict within his character within his conscience and his morality of what he should do and that is the movie that's yep. the conflict of the movie yep it's <laughs> should i stay or should i go yes. and he stays and <laughs> yes he does um but the whole time while he's staying there's like he's i don't know he's got to build up his troops essentially and he's trying to convince other people that uh, yeah, even though he left the sheriff's badge or whatever, he the marshal's badge. He's he's responsible and he needs to, and like no one supports him for the next hour, essentially. <laughs> Basically, yeah, he's he goes around town and hits up everybody. Um, and there's some really great shots. I don't know if we need to go like, and then he goes over to the tavern, and mm-hmm. then he goes over to the thing. There are some moments that we can talk about with those, but overall, as he's going back and forth. The camera does this really cool thing where it just kind of, I guess it's on a, on tracks on a dolly or something. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of walks beside him Mm -hmm. and we just see his 
just see him a lot of shots of him walking being alone Mm -hmm. and yet determined and just like all right next thing to do and there's some really good sound too i remember a couple of times when he's like walking off camera but it's still the camera's moving Mm -hmm. and you just hear his spurs and his boots um and so it feels like you're just walking with him just like looking forward and not looking to your side Mm -hmm. the camera does some really interesting movements to show how alone he is Mm -hmm. in his I thought of uh, that thing you do. Oh, there he goes off to write that hit song, Alone in My Principles. Yeah. That is Will Kane in this movie. He is alone in his principles. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah, Will, for, he goes over to the talk to the judge, and the judge is scared, and he's leaving town. And uh, we meet Harv Pell, who is like Will's second in command. He is played by Lloyd Bridges. Yeah. Jeff Bridges' his dad. Yeah. And also becomes a comedic actor later on in life um in hot shots and uh airplane i think think and uh seinfeld he's you think you're the number one dad yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's probably where i know him best from (laughs) so dumb i can lift that tv over my head (laughs) (laughs) and proceeds to like break his back um, but yeah, he's like the second in command, but, uh, Jeff Bridges is the dude, right? Am I thinking of somebody else? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This yeah, is his dad. The yeah. father of the dude. <laughs> yes. Um, he's mad that he's getting passed over for the job of Marshall. Uh, and he's like, I'll stick around for your posse to bring down Frank Miller. If you put in a good word and actually give me the job of Marshall. And he's like, Nope, I can't do that because it's already set in stone that it's going to be this other person. And so Harv turns in his badge and uh, he won't join him. And uh, there's also like a little side story where there's some tension between them because Harv is with Helen Ramirez, who is this woman who was Will Kane's ex. Um, and I think she like secretly runs or owns like the general store or something in the town. Yeah, or the bar. Or, or like something. the whole town, the, mm-hmm. the hotel or something. She's... She owns a lot of this town, mm-hmm. um, but uh, she used to date Will, and now she's dating Harv, and I don't know, so there's some weird tension there. Will deputizes only one man, and then he's, as he's going around, he just can't get anybody else to join. Uh, it's kind of depressing. I guess you all know why I'm here. I need deputies. I'll take all I can get. He enters into the saloon, and he hears people like taking bets about how he's gonna die and he like punches some guy in the face you must be crazy coming in here to raise a posse frank's got friends in this room you ought to know that he's there to ask for deputies and no one takes him up on and they laugh as he leaves things were different then kane you had six steady deputies to start off with everyone a top gun you ain't got but two now you ain't got two harpel here says he just quit he goes and sees a bunch of other friends, and then eventually the other scene that's kind of a uh, kind of cool scene is that he goes and interrupts a church service, and after some back and forth with the minister, he tells the town about Frank Miller's return and asks for deputies, and there's a, a group of men that go up to join, and then a, another man challenges them, saying that he's not the marshal anymore, and he's got personal beef with Frank, and it's like, this is their thing, and then Thomas Mitchell gets up, and he's like, looks like we got a debate on our hands. <laughs> I'm going to settle this. Yeah. Nobody help him. <laughs> yeah, and then he, and eventually he's like, I love Will, but uh, a shootout would be bad publicity for the town, and since this is your thing, I think it's just best you leave town, and and uh, we don't deal with this. 
Because if he's not here when Miller comes, my hunch is there won't be any trouble. Not one bit. Tomorrow we'll have a new marshal. And if we can all agree here to offer him our services, I think we can handle anything that comes along. Now, to me, that makes sense. To me, that's the only way out of this. Will, I think you better go while there's still time. And then he even goes to see, like, the old man who used to be Marshall, and he turns him down due to his old age and his arthritis and stuff. And so he just, like, he can't get a, catch a break. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... Amy and Helen, Will's ex, Will's wife and Will's ex, are talking to each other as they're waiting for the train to get out of town because Helen also thinks that Frank Miller, I think she also used to date Frank Miller or something because she's like worried that he's going to hurt her or something. Hmm. And, uh, and Amy reveals that she became a Quaker after her father and brother were both shot and killed. Um, after Helen tries to insult her for not staying with her man, basically. Mm. He's like, she's like, you don't know my story. I hate guns. I hate violence. I left that life a long time ago, and I told myself I'd never do it again, and here it is trying to tr- drag me back kind of a thing. Mm. So it, in a movie that's mainly about Will Kane, this provides a really interesting wrinkle to Amy's character, uh, Grace Kelly's character, rather, uh, of Amy. And actually makes her compelling and makes their relationship so much more compelling than you might see in a, in a version of this movie that doesn't really take itself all the way seriously. That's a little more simplistic or something. Mm-hmm. It really kind of, I think, does a good job of building up that character and that dynamic. Yeah, it does. I think following uh, Stagecoach's um, footsteps, it mm-hmm. you know has a big, big cast and then Make sure it uh, has like complicated characters and stuff like that in a compact script and in a comp like it's eighty five minutes, not very long at all. But I mean, you can't. It wouldn't have been in real time if he just, you know, went from place to place and everybody said nope, 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 and it was just solely about him. You have to have some interpersonal dynamics and stuff like that, and some good backstory in order to fill that time. So I think that they did a really good job. For sure. Um, I didn't really, like, cling to her backstory or anything. And I kind of thought that Helen was, like, I couldn't figure out exactly what she was, but I was like, is she just, like, the town prostitute who runs everything from this uh, saloon here that she owns? Like, she kept talking to the the guy that was there. Like, he was in the other room. I, I assumed he was, like, the figurehead kind of guy, like, just the mm-hmm. dummy that she was just, like controlling but then it did say it was, it was called like ramirez's saloon or ramirez's mm-hmm. hotel or something like that so i was like okay maybe that's her husband i don't know i couldn't figure out who that guy was yeah. but her she's just around with everybody helen yeah. is like uh in my head canon she's like the mafia boss of this town and she runs the whole town and like owns everything <laughs> i don't know but she's just thinking she's like the she controls it from the bedroom <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there, there was a time when she's like, there's a, a scene where she's selling her shares of the, of the store to some guy or something, mm. and it was almost like he was the the face of the store and she was secretly owning the store, but she needed the white man to run the store or something and pretend like he owned it or something. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, her name was on the saloon or on this on the hotel or something. So I was like, well, that theory didn't stand up. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's also a moment where uh, Harv and Will meet in a barn and they get into a fist fight. I don't know. I don't remember the details of why they fight. They start fighting. They're just kind of pissed off at each other. And uh, Will knocks out Harv. He does it in an awesome way 
where the camera is behind Harv and Will is like punching him towards the camera. Mm. So I remember seeing that shot and being like, oh yeah, that was a good way to fake a punch. And like they mm-hmm. you know, added the sound effect in so you didn't even see the connection mm. um, and you didn't have to because it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but there's some blood in this scene. Oh yeah. That's... Will gets punched a couple of times in the face and he's got like a cut and blood on his face. Mm-hmm. They have some Rocky style boxing in this uh, Western here where mm-hmm. they're just like not blocking their face and just... just only punching the face <laughs> right uh will then goes to the barber to get cleaned up and he hears some hammering out back and they're like he's like oh we're just doing repairs but really it's a guy who's making coffins yeah for the eventual showdown there was like a little scene earlier in the movie where they mentioned that and then so when you go into this barber shop and we hear the hammering we know that it's actually this really dark detail that mm-hmm. it's this guy who's making perhaps Will Kane's coffin. And he, the barber goes back and says, hey, quit it for right now. Yeah. Just stop. Yeah. Uh, after that, Will, after he gets all cleaned up, he goes back to his office where that guy, that one guy that he deputized earlier is waiting there. But then when he tells him he couldn't get any others, he's like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. So just back down to one. But then a 14-year-old kid comes in and offers help. And he's like, no, you're a kid. And so it's just Will. Mm-hmm. And we see him. And this is the best scene in the movie, I think. The editing of this scene is fantastic. The music. What, the end of the movie? Right here, where Will is sitting at his desk in his office and he's writing out his will. Will is writing his will. And we hear the clock ticking. It's just minutes to noon. We see shots of everyone around town waiting oh, yeah. silently for the train to, to arrive. And it even goes to like this empty chair where we knew that earlier, b- before the movie, that's the chair that Frank Miller sat in whenever Will had, arre- had, him, had him arrested. And he sat there and said that he was going to get out and come back to kill him. And so it goes in and zooms in on the empty chair. And then the train whistle blows at the height of the tension. And he seals the will, walks outside just in time to see Amy and Helen ride past on their carriage as they head toward the train station. And at the train station, Frank gets off the train, Amy and Helen get on, and back to Will out in the street as the camera pulls back in this really high crane shot, backing up to show him all alone. And that's probably the most famous shot. And that is the most famous shot in the movie. It's so, like I told, said before, the camera does some excellent movements and framing to show him being alone in his principles. He's standing up for what he thinks is right. And even though nobody else will back him up on it, he sticks with it. And really what stuck out to me in this and what stuck out to me of this whole town. Um, the power lines. No, no. There are power lines in it, though. In the back, in the back corner, on the left, you can see like telephone lines and oh. the city and everything that's off the lot. Oh no, I didn't, didn't <laughs> yeah. notice that. Um, what I noticed though was that it is like the exact same town in Westworld, uh, the HBO yes. TV show. It's like the exact same setup, the church and everything, and like the corner store, and it it just seemed like it. It probably was like the exact same set and everything. Mm-hmm. Um. Or, no, it, was, it was really neat it just reminded me of that and i kind of like felt like i knew what was going to happen i was like whoa is all that action shot and all those scenes in westworld were they based off of this but mm-hmm. and no i did not notice the power lines that's hilarious yeah <laughs>
the four bad guys walk through the town, and Will kind of circles around and gets behind them. And here's where the shootout happens, starts. Uh, he's able to shoot one of them. And at this sound, Amy jumps off the train and runs back to town as the trains takes, train takes off. She chooses to, um, to go back to be with her man. And she runs up to the dead body and sees it's not Will and whew, breathes a sigh of relief. Meanwhile, Will runs into a barn where he's able to get a second one. These are, yeah, these are the coolest scenes whenever he's, like, hitting them. He, like, is hiding around and running away, like... Pretty good action for 1952. Really good action, yeah, and he shoots the second one while he's hiding in the barn. He's like, does he shoot into the barn to kill one that's in there already? No, he's hiding up on the second floor okay. of the barn. And he got up there, and he gets at least one that walks in. Yeah, and, and he, then he moves the out of the way, and boom, gets another one. That's right. And so then we're down to they're down to two left, but Frank Miller's lighting lamps and tossing it in the barn mm-hmm. to light it on fire to try to smoke him out, basically. Mm-hmm. And he will unties all the horses in the barn and runs and lets gets them to run off and kind of hides on one crouch down so he can get out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Amy in Will's office reading the will, and she hears the fighting kind of extending out to the street as Will is chased by the two remaining men and. Uh, he goes into a building to hide because I think he gets clipped by a, one of their shots. Hmm. And uh, they are kind of firing on one another from he's inside this building and shooting outside the windows. And one of the men stops to reload and gets shot in the back. And it's revealed that Amy had picked up a gun in Will's office and shot one of them in the back. She hates guns, but she killed him. Mm-hmm. And then Frank sneaks around. And he captures Amy and shows her off to Will, threatening her life if he doesn't come out. And so... He walks out, but uh, she starts struggling with him. Frank pushes her to the ground, and Will takes that opening to shoot Frank. Mm-hmm. And so all of them are dead. Will and Amy survive. They embrace, and the town all comes out. And Will and Amy board the carriage. Will takes off his star, tosses it into the dirt, and they ride out of town. And the movie ends there, just, just like it started. It doesn't fade out or go to credits, it just stays on the image and it says the end, and then the movie just kind of abruptly ends without fading or anything. Yep, that's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> um, as the ballad is kind of playing. But, uh, yeah, the, the final shootout is staged really well, shot, and the editing of this movie was what really kind of drew my attention. It was, it was cut a lot more uh, dynamically in a way to kind of ramp up the tension. And the, again, the way the movie is structured, it's like a ticking time bomb of a movie in real time. So it's structured in a way to ramp up the tension. Hmm. So I, I don't know. This movie does it's just we'll talk about that, I guess, and what makes it great. But that's that's the ending of the movie. Yay. Uh, so it comes out, it does really well commercially, but many critics were kind of confused by the lack of typical Western set pieces in action. There's not much action in this movie. It's just him walking around town asking people to help him out and everyone saying no and laughing at him. All the action pretty much is at the very end. And, and apparently they were confused at the fact that the woman helps save the day. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, John Wayne and Howard Hawks apparently didn't like it and called it un-American. And they made a movie called Rio Bravo as a result, which I've never seen. Hmm. Um, But it does get nominated for seven Academy Awards. It gets nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. And it wins four for Best Actor for Gary Cooper, 
best editing, uh, best score, and best song. Yeah, that makes sense. They're all really, really good. And the American Film Institute has it ranked number 33 and number 27 on their top 100 lists. It's top 100 thrills list. It's number 20. Uh, Will Kane is the number five greatest hero of all time, according to AFI. The song is number 25 greatest song in a movie. Hmm. The score is the 10th best score. The, it's number 27 on their list of the top 100 movies that make you cheer. And it's the number two best Western of all time, according to the American Film Institute. Behind what? Uh, the Searchers, which is another movie from the 50s that we'll watch oh, cool. later on. Okay. But yeah, that is everything I got on High Noon, except for talking about what makes it great. Uh, let me go first so you can have more to say. Okay. <laughs> um, the editing was really good. The shots were really good. I uh, liked my favorite part of it was the big cast. Like it's got a lot of big names: um, Lloyd Bridges, Gary Cooper, um, Grace, Grace Kelly, Grace Kelly, Lee Van Cleef, yep, Thomas Mitchell, Thomas Mitchell. Yeah. Um, I like the big cast thing, and westerns. I believe it or not, are starting to grow on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I hated on them backstage coach days, but and just the whole genre as it is, but. You know, the the more you see, the more like the more I've consumed, the more tropes and things I see developing. It's it's kind of cool. Um, and I don't have like there aren't very, very, very many modern Westerns. But um, like I mentioned earlier, you know, Shanghai Noon, <laughs> right. great, great Western movie. And like, I don't know, I know 310 to Yuma is a remake and The Hateful Eight. I don't think that's a remake, but that's just they like draw from all of these these movies like um mm-hmm. you know high noon here um especially 310 to yuma with the whole train thing yeah that's got i mean they all of them have like similar scenes and stuff and they all and you know even westworld all, all these shows even that's not really western but um shows and movies that draw from that i really appreciate that and getting to know where it came from is really really cool and uh adds value to my movie knowledge but um not my favorite movie ever ever still um i don't know the song is not a song i'm gonna have on my ipod i'll tell you that much (laughs) but i do agree that it is a good song for you know for its purpose and for the time um but yeah i think it's just building the knowledge of westerns for me is what i enjoyed about it the most but what makes it great as a film and in film history is it's got to be the uh the editing Um, that's the prime thing for me and the grace kelly she is very 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 pretty the editing is great for me uh the themes you know being a a man of principle standing up for what you believe in that kind of uh against you know when even when nobody's there supporting you apparently this is a favorite movie of a lot of presidents and things and like u.s political figures because of this idea of of you know, following your convictions and standing up against, you know. And so it, the character of Will Kane reminded me a lot of Jefferson Smith from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Everybody's against him. And, you know, nobody thinks what he's doing is right, but he does it anyway. And he... Sure, but I just didn't... Like, do we ever get a backstory of what Frank Miller did and why he was pardoned? Uh, it was murder. It was murder. Um, but we don't know why he was pardoned. Okay. So it was like murder, and then they're just like coming back to get this guy and kill him. Like, I felt like they're <laughs> he wasn't really standing up for much except for like, oh, defending the town. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't know. It wasn't there wasn't much for me on that front. But I do agree. I do like that idea. He's no 
Jefferson Smith. Yeah. I think he's a solid character. And I said, like, not quite Jefferson Smith level for me, but there's definitely similarities in conviction and standing up for what you believe in. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and then the theme of blacklisting. I mean, the whole town just turns their back on this guy that they've loved, that known for, for years. He's protected the town. They can't say enough good things about him. But as soon as things get rough or things get weird, they turn their back on him and totally turn him into an outcast. And they laugh at him. They make fun of him. Um, they send him out to die. Um, and there's such a satisfact- cathartic satisfaction that when he tosses the star in the dirt at the end. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and then he gets to ride off with his arm around his girl. Um, into the sunset you know mm-hmm. i saved y'all one last time i did my duty i stood up for what i my principles my believe in what i believe in and goodbye <laughs> now it's all up to you you know see ya yeah. um that's something really great and cathartic and just like yes stick it to them you know mm-hmm. he, he took the high road kind of a thing he still saved these sorry people and then bye mm-hmm. um but the themes, the story structure, and the editing are also, and the camera work all highlight the just the building tension, the alone in his principles. Like I said again, um, I just I really really like this movie. I like westerns. I loved Stagecoach. I actually think I might like this movie more than I liked Stagecoach. Uh, this is going to be high up for me for sure. Hmm. Um, this is one of my I think my one of my more favorite movies that I've seen on the list so far. Oh wow. Maybe I need to watch it again, but I did enjoy it, and I enjoyed talking about it and learning more about it with you, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for this one. Yay. What do we got next week? Next week, we are talking, I think we go one more year forward to 1953, and we talk about another Western, our third Western, uh, Shane, ranked number 69 and number 45 on the two American Film Institute's list. Okay. Oh, Shane. I know Shane. I had never seen it before but spoiler i've already watched it (laughs) um for the next one but that was my first time so we'll talk about that one next time but for this time my name is andy fernandez and my name is michael fernandez thank you guys for joining us on what makes it great